Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, it is our very first Win Wednesday. Whoa, what? Uh, brought to you, of course, by the Texas Longhorns. Uh, by that, I mean Shanahan, Goodwin, and Colbert, but only for a little bit. Uh, and really, two cups of Gatorade was the appropriate level of Gatorade shower for a win number one, which was the Gatorade <laughs> bath that Coach Kyle Shanahan got at the end of the first victory. But, dude... Look, the Giants aren't a very good team, but who cares? It's not like we've been able to put away really bad teams like Indianapolis uh, or even Arizona to a certain degree. A win's a win, dude. I'll take it. You think the cups of Gatorade were like warm? Hopefully they weren't warm. Just, you know, just feel like something else. On That's me. that's where your mind went? Your mind went to, yeah, did he like get two, pee thrown on two him? Two cups? Like, I, it's got to feel a little weird, you know, like two cups of uh, Gatorade thrown in. You're just kind of like, it's not, it's not enough to be like, completely surprising right you're just like what the hell is that what just happened to me right now yeah i, mean, I, I could see how you would be I surprised uh, i think it was uh, the appropriately sized uh, oh, kind of shower it was very appropriate the 49ers won 31 21 with their second highest offensive output of the year offensive juggernaut watch out <laughs> of course let's get to the things that we think uh, it's going to be really off the top protection finally happened for cj beathard and it turned him into Basically, 2017 Alex Smith. Come on, that no, looked it was no, it didn't. no he didn't. No, it, yeah. didn't. <laughs> it, it absolutely didn't. It turned him into CJ Beathard with time, <laughs> which was pretty good. I mean, his quarterback rating was over 120 for the game. He had protection. He didn't get hit all that often. His QBR was 87.3, third best for the week. Put him behind Case Keenum and Cam Newton, uh, which uh, apparently your name has to begin with a C in order for you to be in the top three this week. Casey Jarrett, Case Keenum, Cam Newton. His 86.4 pro football focus grade was second best of the week behind none other than Mr. Tom Brady, TB12. Uh, I mean, it was a good game. Granted, it was a single game, sure. but it was a good game. It was a good game. Um, and, I, and I think what we saw, for at least from, from my perspective, um, really was you know, getting to highlight the benefits of playing with a lead. Um, I mean, you saw things, I think, uh, Shanahan was able to keep things generally very conservative, um, and, and kind of put him, uh, in really good situations. Didn't have to take a lot of risk. Uh, you saw, I think we're talking only 25 pass attempts, right? For the entire game. Um, of those, he didn't have to make a single pass past 1134 in the fourth quarter. Like that's usually when his day is getting really started, right? Like we talked about the last couple of weeks, like, all right, fourth quarter, about to put it up 25 times uh, in the last five minutes of the game because he has like to come back, right? 50% of his attempts in like the fourth quarter or something where he's like, well, got to go. Yeah, I mean, they're just constantly playing from behind, right? They you know, end up in these two-minute situations and, and all that stuff that have led to these like super inflated, uh, you know, attempt totals over the last few weeks. And then we finally get a game, right, where they don't have to do any of that stuff. They You just saw kind of everything come together. And this is... Uh, I mean, those are the benefits of getting to play with the lead and, and not having to let game situation dictate what you have to do offensively. Well, of course, we talked about C.J. Beathard's passing stats at the top, but really it was because he was able to operate from a clean pocket. It's something we talked about in the preview that the Giants came into the game with one of the lowest pressure rates in the league. And we thought, hey, you know what? Maybe this is the game where C.J. Beathard gets some time. And indeed he did. He was only pressured on four of his 27 dropbacks. And on those 23 unpressured dropbacks, he was 18 for 21 for 279 yards, two touchdowns, and an INT. And that INT, I mean, that was that was a pretty ridiculously wasn't, awesome INT. Wasn't great. No. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't a great throw. But no. yeah, I mean, um, hey, shit happens, I guess. Whatever. Uh, yeah, his his 13.1 adjusted yards per attempt uh, when kept clean was second highest this week behind Case Keenum, setting the world on fire. Case Keenum. I feel like the quarterbacking world is upside down. Very the, strange. The New Orleans Saints are winning games by running 13 times in a row. They had like a what was it a 94 yard drive yeah. where they didn't pass once. You got yeah. Alex Smith. The, the the finisher, the touchdown on that drive was Drew Brees running it in for a touchdown. <laughs> just, like just, what? Why not? You've got you know Alex Smith, deep ball savant. I mean the the, 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 uh, upset, the NFL. It's gone away. It, it has gone away <laughs> unless you count his uh, his hail mary screen. Sure, but <laughs> but all of a sudden you know Casey Jarrett is like, hey, you know what? It, it's it's great when I'm not on my ass all game because Lakin Tomlinson decides oh, yeah. that he's not going to block anyone. Uh, and, and the Giants had a very, very low pressure rate going into the game. 
and the 49ers were able to take advantage. Definitely. I mean, this was a thing where he was, you know, the thing we kept talking about with Beathard over and over was just, he's a, he's a mess under pressure, right? Just he's under pressure constantly. He doesn't respond well necessarily to it. And, and I think considering where he is at in his career and, and everything around him and, and all that stuff, it was all reasonable that he would, you know, be not all that great under pressure, but that was still the case. It was, it was you didn't have a functioning offense when he was under pressure but then if you could find a way to keep him clean, right, he still, it wasn't like he was setting the world on fire necessarily, but he, all of a sudden your offense is functional, right? You can do things, you're able to pick up third downs, um, you're able to take throws that are there, you don't, you're not trying to like rush the ball out to a check down or something like that because you're worried you're about to get a helmet in the chest for the third straight play or something like that. So uh, yeah, I mean, you just, again, he, he's able to be functional and that was enough against a Giants team that, uh, didn't seem terribly interested in playing football. Let's talk about the third downs for a minute because that was something that was very different against the Giants than it was against uh, basically every other team. And that was a success on third down. The 49ers were 8 of 8 on third down, uh, or the 8 of 8 passes, 7 first downs, including his 83-yard touchdown pass to Goodwin, which was 48 yards in the air. Uh, Bethard also scrambled for an 11-yard touchdown on third and two to open the fourth quarter that put the 49ers up 24-13. to 13. What do you think changed in this game for the 49ers for them to be so successful on third down and for C.J. Beathard to be so successful in third down passing where he completed all of his passes and was even able to scramble for a touchdown? I think it's all the things that we've we've kind of mentioned already, right? All the the kind of the com- combination of all those factors, right? It's it's not having dudes breathing down your neck, you know, it, right after the snap and, and, and actually being able to uh, sit there in the pocket because, you know, one of the things that he's, uh, struggled with a little bit at times is like making quick decisions necessarily. Right. He, he's still, he's a rookie, right? He's a rookie third rounder. That's still kind of, you know, picking things up and uh, he's, he can be a little bit late sometimes with throws and and that all gets uh, compounded when you're under pressure, right? It's just kind of like everything it's going too fast in his mind and he's, he's just not really there yet. And so I think when you have some time and you can kind of find the, the open guy, you know, cause we know that Shanahan's going to do a good job of, um, Shanahan's going to get a guys, dude open. Yeah, he's going to get guys open. He's going to do his part. Um, and so when you actually have time to find that guy, uh, and, and then I think also you combine that with going against a Giants team that looks like not very good. You know, there's no reason to, to skirt around that. They're a shitty team as well. So now you're kind of on a more equal playing field here and you're not playing against a defense that has significantly better talent than what you're working with offensively. Um, yeah, and it, you know, led, led to some good things. Let's talk a little bit about the the big bomb to Goodwin because that really changed the complexion of the game. Of course, it came after the strip sack by Ronald Blair where you're thinking it was kind of a, a bit of a back and forth there in the first quarter and some change. You, know, you get a field goal, you get a field goal, you get a touchdown. All of a sudden, it feels like the Giants are driving again and Ronald Blair kind of gets around the edge. He doesn't kind of get around the edge. He really screams around the edge uh, from the Leo position and is able to knock the ball out of Eli Manning's hand. Niners recover first down second down they were both outside zone runs we're going to get to that in a minute but then all of a sudden you've got the Giants who send a blitz and the 49ers pick this up perfectly and they they run this concept that David you're going to talk a bit about called the Mills concept which completely destroys cover four or split safety looks and lo and behold the Giants are running cover six and they get that Mills concept to the cover four side and all of a sudden, you've got Goodwin streaking down the field and, and stiff-arming a Janoris Jenkins, who was not interested in making any tackles this week, and including on that big, long bomb, and he's scoring a touchdown. So that really seemed to, to kind of change the tide of the game in the 49ers' favor. And that concept is one that I don't know that I've seen a whole hell of a lot of it over the course of the season so far, but it's a concept that's very, very effective, especially against teams that love to run split safety looks. Definitely. It's, I think it's a really good compliment to, um, you know, what they do. Obviously we've spent a lot of time this season and, and even going back into the off season now, uh, talking about Yankee, right. Which is a kind of a favorite concept of Kyle Shanahan at this point. And, um, you know, if you haven't been listening for that long or can't quite remember what that is, Yankee, right. Is, uh, essentially a two man route concept where you have a receiver on one side of the field. that's going to run your deep post. And then on the opposite side of the field, you've got a guy that's going to run sort of an intermediate crossing route. Um, and, and that's something that they've used to great effect, you know, throughout the season, Shanahan's used it, uh, essentially everywhere that he goes and really what it's doing 
is, is, is attacking kind of single high free safeties, right? So you're going to go to that, and especially when you pair that with play action, right? You get those linebackers kind of coming up to the line of scrimmage a little bit, really opens that intermediate middle area of the field. And that's where that crossing route's going to attack. So you sit there, you hit him with the crossing route, hit him with the crossing route, hit him with the crossing route. And then eventually that safety that's in the middle of the field decides that he, he, he doesn't want to keep giving that play up, right? He wants to kind of suck up a little bit and, uh, and, and try to make a play on that ball. And that's when you can hit him with the big play over the top and, and go to that post route. And so what, what Mills does is a very similar thing. It's a, a very similar design. Uh, gives a very similar picture for the quarterback, actually. So it's not, you know, necessarily like a lot of new teaching that you need to to implement there in in order for your quarterback to be able to run this effectively. Um, but what it does is it switches rather than having those routes come from opposite sides of the field. You're you're effectively putting them on the same side of the field. So you still get the deep post route from your outside guy, but now you're you're sort of crossing route and, and with Mills you can kind of switch it up a little bit more. Um, you can run, you know, whether that's the crossing route, whether that's like a dig, which is your deep in-breaking route. You can even do um, like a deep curl route, something just to get to that like 10 to 15 yard range and occupy the safety is what you're going for. And then it's that same sort of high-low relationship, right, where you have the post over the top. If the safety's there and that's covered, well, then you're going to be able to throw the underneath stuff. Um, if the safety, though, comes up, uh, and, and wants to try to make a play on that intermediate route, then that's when you can do some big damage on on the post, and that's exactly what we saw on the Goodwin touchdown in this game. So the Mills concept is one that was popularized by Steve Spurrier at Florida, uh, and it's called the Mills concept not because of any other reason than just because they ran that that post route to Ernie Mills, a wide receiver at Florida, uh, and I think he got a ridiculous amount of touchdowns on that play, and, and anytime he was streaking down deep, it was mostly because of this concept. So the, the concept has now kind of earned his name, even though it's been around for a long time. It's in a lot of West Coast concepts or in a lot of West Coast books. But what's funny is Chris Brown wrote an article about this concept, and he talked about how that post in the West Coast parlance is an alert. It's like just in case kind of peek over here, but really you want to get that, that dig route to the Y. Uh, and, and instead, Steve Spurrier is like, no, no, let, let's go deep. Let's go deep. Uh, and Brett Favre does the yeah. same thing. He's he's like, no, you know what? I don't want to throw this safe ball. I'm going to go ahead and just chug it deep. Oh, man, it was so great listening to that. So there's, uh, you know, Chris has a, a ton of clips, which it's an excellent article. We'll throw it in the um, in the recap on Niners Nation there and, and make sure to get that in uh, so that you guys can take a look at it if you haven't seen it yet. But it's it's really great stuff just on, you know, passing game in general and kind of coverages and, and all that stuff with with how it's evolved over time. Um, and Chris has a lot of different clips in there, right? A lot of different videos and stuff. And so the one, the QB camp one with Gruden and Favre, uh, is just kind of funny. Cause I mean, it's just Favre is exactly who you think he is, right? He's just, he, that's the dude that he is. Where's his uh, Wranglers? Where's his Wranglers? Wants to, you need gunslinger. Just wants to chuck it deep. Uh, and it's like, and it was, it was just so funny because he's talking about, yeah. And West coast on this play usually want to hit it's that you want to hit that curl is is basically what ends up being to to the tight end and it's a safer play you know be a little bit more conservative that's not there we're gonna you know maybe look backside and then we're gonna dump it off to the back right keep it safe only gonna throw that deep ball if it's there and Favre's like i don't know man kind of like this deep ball over here i think i'm gonna i think i'm gonna try to throw this a little bit more often because i can make some throws that other dudes can't uh so it's just kind of funny inside but yeah i think that's it's gotten to the point now where uh with all of the the quarters type, you know, the quarters family of coverages, right? Which is uh, sort of these different pattern matching schemes that we've talked a lot about um, that really plays on, you know, the, the, the key there with what those coverages are, are looking for and what kind of determines what patterns that they're following is what the number two receiver does, what the slot guy does. And so this concept really plays on those rules. And so uh, coaches finally started to figure out that like, hey, we're seeing a lot more of this coverage we know that this can can attack the rules of that coverage and kind of manipulate it a little bit. And let's start throwing that post route over the top because it's going to be wide open, you know, if we, if we catch them in this particular coverage. So that was something that, again, we haven't really seen, like you mentioned, a whole lot of this throughout the season up to this point. Um, but going against the Giants team, obviously this was something that they expected either to see this coverage in a certain situation or they knew that if they went to uh, you know this particular formation, that this was how the Giants were going to counter. They they clearly wanted to see this uh, and and kind of added this new wrinkle into the passing game, and it paid off in a big way. The thing that I love about this concept is how it marries or pairs with a lot of the other concepts that Shanahan chooses to run and likes to run. So this concept, the, the Mills concept, is going to be 
you know, kind of a, a dig with a post over the top to the same side. But the look and the feel is very similar to Yankee and some of the cover and some of the rules that the quarterback has to follow are the same. You've also got dig, which is going to look very similar as well. And so you've got three complementary kind of pass concepts that look and feel the same, the defenses that give you similar reads for the quarterback, but that are going to at the top of the stem or at a different part of the concept, have the wide receivers break in the different directions that make it much more difficult for defensive backs to key in on what the wide receivers are doing, which is, which is what you want, right? You want plays to play off of each other. You want to layer them on. You don't want to give the, the defenses obvious looks. And, and that to me, I think is the exciting part where, you know, you, you think it's one thing, but it really is another to the point where when I originally saw a snapshot of the play where Goodwin was breaking free because of where the wide receivers were, I totally confused it for Yankee. Um, and then I went back and watched the all 22 and I was like, oh, crap, actually, it was actually not that screenshots uh, are evil. Yeah, screenshots Ignore are definitely screenshots. Evil. Um, but yeah, so the fact that these <laughs> look very similar at different stages of the play, but then evolve into something else. And, and there are three that we know are in his arsenal that that Shanahan loves to run that look very similar to this is great because if it, it becomes very, very difficult for defensive backs to decode which concepts are coming right at their face. Right. And I think one thing, you know, last thing I, I guess really to touch on with that particular concept and why it was so effective in this situation. Um, I, I saw a, a few different spots where people were trying to, you know, really kind of get on. I think it was Rogers Camardi that was playing uh, is the safety to that side of the field. And it was like, basically it was a bust on him. And, uh, you know, he, where, where was the help on the post sort of thing? And, and that's not really the case. And that's really where coming you know, understanding how quarters works and what the basic kind of fundamental rules that, uh, that those players are operating from, uh, is really key to understanding why this concept is effective. So when you're looking at the safety play in quarters, the big thing is, again, they're keen on the number two receiver, the slot receiver in this case. And what they're they're looking for is to see where he breaks, right? Where what, what kind of route is he running? If he breaks short, if he goes inside, outside, you know, less than five yards, then effectively he's going to ignore that player and he's going to move on uh, and, and switch his thought to the outside receiver. Now he's going to ba- he's basically allowed to double team that player. So now you got a corner and a safety uh, that would kind of occupy that post guy and, and be able to kind of shut that route down. But when you run that number two guy, that slot receiver vertically, if he gets to a depth, usually, you know, defenses are going to coach it a little bit differently. And and a lot of times there's not even like a hard and fast rule here. I know um, with Michigan State, with Pat Narduzzi when he was there and he's now at Pittsburgh. um, But he he would say like in his install stuff, uh, essentially, if if the safety feels like it's vertical, then it's vertical enough and you can take it right. Like it's just kind of up to the safety's discretion in some cases. But usually you're looking at around a depth of eight to 10 yards. And once he he hits that mark, the safety picks him up in man coverage. And so that's why that curl route or the dig route there that breaks, like we said, at you know, kind of 10 to 15 is so key because once he gets to that depth, now we know that the safety has to pick him up in man coverage. And so that eliminates the help inside that the cornerback has. And then the other aspect of that. It's all about the leverage. The leverage, right? The leverage is such a big thing from the cornerback is, is you're usually looking at in zone coverage in general, playing outside leverage. The thing that I liked that, that Shanahan did on this particular play as well that was really, uh, really kind of cool was you condense the splits of the, of the receivers a little bit. So you move them in closer to the formation. That's another thing that just exaggerates that outside leverage. Anytime that you get receivers you know, close together, close to the line of scrimmage there, close to the, the tackle box, um, those cornerbacks on the outside, they're going to play with outside leverage a little bit. It's just how everybody plays it essentially. And so by doing that, now you're taking away his inside help. You're forcing the cornerback to play with outside leverage, and then you're running a deep in-breaking route, right? It becomes a very, very difficult thing for a cornerback to handle. And that's why it was, you know, they're able to hit it for such a big play and Goodwin's able to get so much separation on it beyond the fact that he's just, you know, super fast dude, but it's, it's, you get those elements in there and that's why it takes away the help. And it's just, I mean, I don't know. It's it's really tough. I mean, cornerbacks, if you're going to play a lot of quarters, right? Cornerbacks have to be able to do it, but it's not an easy thing for them to do. It's not an easy ask. So overall, the Mills concept, the kind of dig with the post over the top was a perfect call in this scenario. He saw Shanahan saw the perfect defense, a split safety or quarters look. In this case, it was a cover six, but they threw it to the quarter side. And, and the way that he condenses wide receivers ultimately made for favorable situations, but that the whole play doesn't work without a really good throw. 
And and CJ Beathard had a couple of really amazing throws in this game. One of them was, of course, the deep ball to Goodwin, which hit him in stride. It allowed Goodwin to get the stiff arm on the defender and propel himself, which is always the best feeling in the whole wide world. Whenever, like, my favorite move was the stiff arm whenever I played. And whenever you you can feel that little, like, burst you get from using their energy to push you forward, <laughs> you knew you had timed it perfectly because you're you're propelling yourself. It's like getting a, it's like getting one of the mushrooms in, in Mario Kart where you just, <laughs> like, you, you, you hit it oh, and, you, and you know you're going. Boom. You know you're going. Uh, and, and so that's one of the things that I thought was great. It was a perfect throw, hit him in stride. Yep. I mean, the thing was 50 yards in the air. Yeah. If only he could throw at the sideline with such power and zip, it would be great. But between the numbers, the dude's money. Uh, and then the other big time throw that I thought was great was the one where he hit Selleck on the touchdown in stride as well yeah. uh, on the Y cross concept. And, and he had two great throws that I thought were really, really just good quality on film throws from CJ Beathard this game. Definitely. I mean, that throw that that crossing route to Selleck there was um, on the money. And I think that's, you know, that's what I think we've learned so far about CJ Beathard is that when you give him time, he can make throws that are there, right? Especially over the middle of the field seems to be where he's most comfortable at uh, at this point. But the, the, the key ingredient with both of those, right, is that he had time and, and that he could sit there, keep his feet underneath him, and and be able to step in and make some some good accurate passes yeah. and uh, he wasn't and, smelling his chin strap and that's enough right you know that doesn't make you uh, a special quarterback necessarily but that makes you a functional quarterback which is you know something that a lot of teams could use and I think that's uh, the the thing that I think even though we have Jimmy Garoppolo like you feel good about having that as as your backup right especially as he gets more time to develop in the system and, and get more comfortable with everything like knowing that you have a guy that can come in and like, look, Hey, if we got some decent stuff around him, he can go in and we can do okay. Right. We're not going to take a huge hit by having him in the lineup. Um, and that's, that's what we've seen. He can make the throws that are there. He can make some tough throws on occasion. Um, and you know, I think it was just kind of a perfect storm for him in this one. It was, uh, it really set him up to succeed. And of course you talked about the benefits of playing with the lead already. He had only 25 total pass attempts, didn't have a pass attempt after the 1134 mark in the fourth quarter. Six of those attempts were screens. Uh, you had 15 of those attempts were thrown to, to a depth of five yards uh, or, or less behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, and they used a lot of play action this game. 40.7% of his dropbacks were with play action. Entering the game, C.J. Bathard was at 18.7. So it really allowed Shanahan to manage the game and manage the game positively by playing with the lead and playing with you know not having to scramble down 17, 20 points or so. So everything came together, and C.J. Beathard, one game, Alex Smith level. That's all I'm saying. Alex. And, and I think 20, the, 2017 Alex Smith. Uh, the, the, the big takeaway there, don't get it confused at like, oh, why haven't they been doing this the whole time? They should be running the ball more and throwing less, and this is the recipe. Like, no, this is the, the, the effect, right? The, this is what happens when you do have a lead. You can do those things. Um, it's not like the, this was just something that Shanahan's been ignoring and just had this sudden revelation in this game that like, oh, we should like – throw more play action and, and run the ball a little bit more. It's like, no, we we're in a situation where we can do those things. Nobody gives a shit about your play action or your run game when you're down 20 points. Right. So, so in your opinion, does this change the Jimmy Garoppolo calculus thinking that he might come in after the buy? Now you had, uh, you had Shanahan on Kawakami's podcast saying, well, you know, I haven't decided yet. It's going to go week to week. Do you think the Niners still trot out Garoppolo after the buy? Or do you think, they ride out the Beathard train until he starts to struggle, and then you make it a more natural change. Uh, well, I th- so I, I guess it, it seems like it, pro- based on what we know, it seems like it probably does change it a little bit. I don't know that it should have, because I don't think it should have been a situation um, where we were in that big of a hurry to get to him anyway, right? So I, I think it should have been a situation where we feel okay, like, Beathard is fine for right now. Like this team, you know, obviously we're not making a playoff push here. Like be happy. Wait, we're not, uh, you know, let him, let him go and do his thing, save Garoppolo, uh, and, and, you know, to a time that he's more comfortable. And, uh, and I, hopefully that's, you know, later. Yeah. I would, I'd rather push that way back, but yeah, I I don't think it should change that decision-making process at all. This was, uh, I don't think we saw anything from CJ Beathard in this game that we didn't, uh, no was there. If we were looking close enough, we just got some more favorable conditions so that we could see that a little bit more often. Yeah. I think the only consideration here, and, and I forget where I read it. It may have been Kawakami on Twitter um, or in the athletic, but 
he said there's there's potential for locker room dynamics to get disrupted which I don't know how much I buy that because the locker room seems to be 100% behind Shanahan. So if he says, this is the move we're going to make, I think the yeah. team would be behind it. But there's something to be said to see how, how far you can ride the Beathard kind of wave and you insert, you're, you're, you're ready to insert Garoppolo whenever. Yeah. And as soon as, and, and if Beathard continues to have, you know, grades where he's up there with the, the Mannings and the, at least for this week, Deshaun <laughs> Kaisers of the world, then <laughs> I know, right? A very strange week. Weird week. Uh, then, then you keep writing that out. Then you keep, you know, you, you write that to the end of the year. But let's say you play him after the bye, you play him against Seattle, and after one quarter, it's like, okay, yeah, we're we're back to you know two weeks ago, CJ Bathard. All right, Garoppolo, you're go. Um, well, also, I mean, do you really want to throw Jimmy Garoppolo, Garoppolo out in there Seattle? in Seattle, like in Seattle? Know. Like, I mean, I get that Sherman's not there, but it's still like, yeah. No, look, the rest of the defense still great. Both right? you and I are on the record in saying that it would be fine if Garoppolo never played this year at all. Yeah. And and we were and part of what we said was you got to get him a line. A Staley's healthy. We didn't think he'd be healthy until after the bye. Yeah, that was that still seems so yeah. weird that he came back with a broken face. Worrisome. Um, but but yeah, so I think it, it you're probably right. It shouldn't change the Garoppolo calculus. But if it does, if anything, it only delays the the time with which we see Garoppolo, which is 100 percent fine by us. But the second thing that we think for this game is that the 49ers finally found their outside zone groove. Of course, the outside zone is one of Shanahan's favorite plays. It is a staple base play of his offense. And yet we haven't seen it dominate the run game over the course of the year as we thought we would. Shanahan usually leads the league in outside zone percentage over the course of the year. But this uh, with the Niners, he's mixed in a lot more inside zone, probably because that's what the team is a little better at. And it's what they did all of last year. And it's what Carlos Hyde is really effective at as well. However, we thought in the preview that the interior of the Giants' defensive line was going to create some serious problems for the 49ers. And so what did Shanahan do? He's like, I'm just going to go ahead and avoid that. I'm going to go ahead and avoid yep. snacks in the middle of the field. I'm going to avoid Tomlinson, both apparently our guard and their defensive tackle. <laughs> and, and I'm just going to go ahead and run outside zone. So against the Giants, Shanahan used the outside zone on 54.5% of his run plays. Uh, up to the game, he was calling outside zone at about a 38% clip. This is the second highest usage of outside zone this weekend, second only to the week five game versus the Colts, where we ran outside zone on 59.1% of plays. And by and large, it was really effective. Yeah, it was kind of surprising, right? So, I mean, I think the overall numbers uh, maybe inflate it just a little bit. So overall, they had 18 attempts uh, with outside zone. Got 125 yards on those attempts. So just shy of uh, seven yards a clip there. They got three big runs out of it. You know, had plays of 33, 28, and 21 that all came there. Um, but they also had, you know, there was some some negative plays built uh, that, that were kind of mixed in there. They had four plays uh, that were stopped for no gain or for a loss. So it was kind of, uh, it, it was something that I think that that ultimately was worth it, right? You, you still had the plays that, offensive line just doesn't quite get it done right you got a guy that misses a block it one of the i mean the very first big run was nearly that yeah it was uh, bad you you have uh it was kind of a weird situation there so it was uh olivier vernon was kind of on the left side of, of the 49ers line so you had tomlinson and staley both over there and with kind of the way that they had it aligned and, and blocked it it looked like staley probably should have given a little bit of help before he got outside and 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 kind of knocked that guy over because initially he's aligned outside of Staley, um, but it just kind of worked out like Staley didn't give any help at all. Tomlinson couldn't get over there, and so Vernon's just basically running free upfield uh, and nearly. I mean, he makes contact with Hyde like six seven yards in the backfield, right? Like barely after he gets the handoff, and so this was just a product of Hyde making a monster play, right? Made a good cut, was able to avoid the tackle for loss. Uh, cuts it all the way back, which is something that you don't really see a whole whole lot of. And then uh, obviously nobody's over there and he's able to pick up a big gain out of it. So you had a little bit of that. Um, you had a little bit of, you know, blocking it up really well. I think the, the Matt Breida touchdown was uh, an excellent example of that. The way they blocked up the backside of that was maybe the best that they've done it all season. Uh, Tomlinson made, I'm going to go ahead and say like the best run block that he's made all year, like by far in, in, in terms of, uh, getting over and getting the one technique cut off there. And, and that was really the lane that Breida ended up hitting was right off of that block. Uh, but then you had Staley getting up to the linebacker and getting that guy cut off. You had Logan Paulson uh, making a good play on the edge defender there. And so it was really 
all three of those guys, those backside blockers, which are such critical blocks when you're going to have a run that ended up like this where he cuts it upfield. Um, everybody kind of did their job well. So you had kind of a little bit of everything, right? Some of the backs doing uh, maybe a little bit more than they, they should have had to. Some plays where they didn't have to do a whole hell of a lot at all except for make the right read and, and get upfield. Um, so, yeah, overall, I think it was it was pretty successful for him. And this was easily Hyde's best game of the year. This was the first time that Pro Football Focus ranked him uh, or rated him over 80 on the season. And it was in large part to his success in the outside zone. This isn't a play that he's that he's run to a high degree of efficiency or success over the course of the year. We mentioned it early on in the season when we were looking at his play, but he has a tendency to not press the outside or the edge of the the play when he's needing to get to the outside zone. And, and he's really quick to cut it back or he's really quick to kind of try and find some other space. It's almost like he's just trying to do a lot. And that makes sense because he usually doesn't have a lot of blockers in front of him. But the outside zone really is a play that's kind of like you, you go from having to be pretty patient to making a decision very quickly and then exploding through, uh, you know, usually by your third step, whatever your decision is. And he's pretty good at exploding through whatever the hell hole he sees when he makes his decision. It's just sometimes he tries to do a bit much and, and makes the wrong decision. I think I think he wants to make a decision quicker than he has to. Right. He, yeah. He's he's almost uh, in a little bit of a hurry at times to make that decision. And mm-hmm. so he's just like, fuck it. I need to get upfield and get what I can. Right. Need to try to make a dude miss because that's always what I'm trying to do, essentially, uh, or having to do to get any positive yardage. So. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's just kind of little of those factors, and, and you know, getting used to the the pacing's a little bit different as a back uh, when you're going outside zone versus inside zone. So I think yeah, it's just taken a little bit of time for him to get more comfortable. Recently, I mean, I think this was pretty clearly his best one. Uh, it, but it, recently, the last few weeks, right, we've seen better and better play from him. I think early on, he was really uh, struggling with a lot of those things that you mentioned. Now that he had his good game, best game of the year. And, and Matt Breida with the touchdown, of course. Breida, we love Breida. Matt Breida. We've been on that hype train uh, the entire year. But neither of those players will be this week's spotlight player, nor will it be Lakin Tomlinson, uh, despite the fact that he had one amazing block. One. Well, all of one. Singular sensation. Uh, and we're not going to give the award posthumously to Janoris Jenkins for all of his... <laughs> amazingness in in the tackling department he made Deion sanders and marcus peters proud out there yeah he yep. sure did he really it's hey man business decision that's 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 what's going to be on his tombstone business decision uh, but this week's spotlight player is going to be none other than former texas longhorn and miami hurricane uh, uh it's going to be adrian colbert adrian colbert played one hell of a game at the free safety spot and it turns out that mike rumpf the miami defensive backs coach is the gift that keeps on giving for the 49ers he actually ended up giving the 49ers some quality free safety snaps, even if it was via his protege and not via his own play, uh, because Mike Rumpf was not good at football when he was with the 49ers. I just can't like every time I hear his name, I just can't help but think like, how did we get the one player that sucked in the NFL from the 2001 Miami team? Like you go, go look at that roster. We're not going to list names off right now. Just go Google that if you're not familiar for some reason and look at the names of the players that were all on that roster at the same time. It's absurd. It's it's just completely absurd. We got the one dude that went to the NFL and didn't do shit, <laughs> essentially, uh, which which kind of sucks. It's true. But, uh, uh, Colbert, works. man, he was he was uh, I think better than really expected. I, I think he's just kind of been uh, a little bit of a pleasant surprise, right? Seeing him play uh, over these last couple weeks and getting some more time in there, and uh, I think you see him do. It's it's tough, right? From that free safety position, you don't get. Uh, a, a ton of opportunity to make, you know, things that show up on the stat sheet, right? Even, even more advanced stat sheets. There's just things that you don't really get to to do because you're kind of away from the action a lot of the time. Uh, and, and it can be just these little subtle things that you do that can make a big difference. Um, but I think we've seen him really kind of handle that pretty well. I mean, 83.4 overall grade. Uh, he's up to nearly an 80 grade on the season, 79.1. Um, he's basically behind Tart right now in terms of safeties in, in, in their their PFF. Is it's going to be either like a touchdown or a really really long run? He did it several times where he was able to cut the just cut off the running back, cut his legs out from under him, and and that's not easy to do. And he was able to do it with alarming speed, with great follow through, tackling right through the thigh, and and that's that's really really good. I mean, Jimmy Ward does that to a certain degree. Uh, but Colbert, I felt like, was just tracking like a heat-seeking missile. 
Yeah, it's it, that's the the sort of subtle thing, right? That I don't know that that you don't really get to see a great angle of um, on the broadcast, right? I, I think obviously safeties, especially in in this type of scheme where you're playing, uh, you know, pretty routinely at eighteen, twenty plus yards deep, you know, you're off camera most of the game, right? It's it's only when you kind of come up and make something like that happen, or something really bad happens and something goes like over your head, right? Uh, is, is kind of when you show up on TV. Or sometimes you've got really, really amazing college football camera operators that always give you the wide angle. Dude. I love those. College football uh, is can, is like the most hit or miss thing. You can get some of the best broadcast angles, college football, that are just willing to like, let's zoom out a little bit and actually yep. see the play and see what's going on there. And then you get some that like are like hungover college students operating that thing, and they're just like missing the play most of the time. Um, so yeah, I digress. Um, but but I think you look at Colbert right with those plays. I don't think if you if you have access to Game Pass, uh, the end zone view is just so perfect for watching these plays because you really get to see the angle, and it's really important. Like uh, the 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 reverse that they had right uh, early in the game. I forget. Oh yeah, was on the first drive uh, yeah. or something like that. Um, I mean, this was was a great example of a play, like you mentioned, that that I think probably if he misses the tackle, probably goes for six. Yeah, maybe you get somebody. I think Witherspoon. Witherspoon was maybe, maybe there. He was. But he was turned. Blocked. He was turned yeah. around. I mean, he was getting blocked. He would have had to fight through a guy and then probably track him down. You know, pr- probably fairly close to the goal line if he if he does make the play. And and so this was the difference between that and then ultimately because he makes that tackle and, and you know keeps it. Uh, to a relatively minimal game, considering what it what it could have been, uh, you know they end up holding him, uh, holding the Giants to a field goal on that drive, right? Uh, a play that could have been a touchdown on its own, and it's and it's this thing where it's so difficult to do that. I, it's just it's one of the tougher things that you have to do in that role as that single high free safety is is make the decision. You have to be able to read it quickly. You have to be able to react and move on that read quickly. Uh, and then take that perfect angle. You want to stay on the inside of the ball carry, and basically you want to force him uh, to go to the outside, right? You don't want to give him the option of a two-way go because if that runner can square you up and he can go anywhere he wants, you're done. Like, it's it's over. These these NFL running backs or ball carriers are too good. So you have to maintain that inside leverage and force him to go outside and then make the tackle when you get there, And, and we saw him do that a few times. And he may have gotten a little help from Eric Reed on one of these plays, but the fact that he's made at least three huge hits that I can remember where he's hitting a wide receiver and has been penalty free is also really, really impressive. One play, of course, I think Eric Reed kind of pushes him before he can stand over the guy. He may have gotten a flag for that, but it never happens. So we'll never know. But the fact that he's been able to stay without penalties and still make big hits and still make big hits on 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 ball carriers is really impressive because it's yeah. it's super easy to get penalties in the NFL now, especially when you're flying in at the rate of speed that Colbert is flying into. Uh, and so I, I think overall Colbert's been a hell of a surprise. The the there's something going on with the calcium uh, or or lack of milk or something in the safety room with the breaking bones, and of course he's got a broken thumb. Chances are, you know, if I had to put money on it, he misses the game against Seattle, which sucks. Uh, and then, and then, name the player who replaces Adrian Colbert. Oh man, I saw this. Uh, oh my god! Like, yeah, you and the collective Niner fandom are going. Wait, who exactly? It's like yeah. Antoine Exum. There you go. I was I wanted to say Antoine, but I couldn't remember the last name at all. Yep. Just um, think, it's like eczema, but not. God, when you put it that way, yeah. Um, not great. Uh, the safety, safety no. I, I mean, I wonder if it's, it's like, at what point is Jim Harbaugh going to call and be like, look, Jed, I know that you said with the way things ended that you're never going to put milk back in the cafeteria, but these players need milk. They're breaking too many bones. Stop the madness. Like, I bet you if they wore khakis with pleats, they wouldn't break their arms. I mean, I'm uh, it's it's going to happen at some point. Yeah. It's it's just insane. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, he, uh, what, tweeted out or... or it's just a finger. Like, just, just a finger, um, which I think is, I mean, he could, pro- as long as he could cast it up or, like, you know, protect it in some way, I mean, I'm sure he probably could play with a... He doesn't wrap up. That's I mean, if you had, I got a knock on him uh, yeah. in, in one way, it's that he doesn't wrap up worth a shit, so he doesn't need that thumb to grab onto anything. No. Um, he's just he's just throwing shoulders into him anyway, so... Oh, uh, and uh, PSA, by the way, despite the fact that he wears number 38, please do not compare him to Deshaun Goldson. He does not like that. Uh, he says he is not Goldson 2.0. He doesn't even know who Goldson is, apparently, uh, which, is shit, in of, which is in and of itself, uh, I think, just kind of hilarious. But yeah, he's just he's his own dude. I appreciate that. Wants to be known as his own dude. 
but he he did go to the University of Texas and then ended up transferring to Miami. So that's why I can I can claim him for a bit. How long was he there for? Did he uh, play any games there? Like ninety seven seconds. Come on. Yeah, uh, but that's that's going to be the recap for the game. It was a fun game to watch. You've got C.J. Beathard, who looks like a 2017 Alex Smith, mostly because he had some time. I just I say it every time just to get under David's skin. I know. It's the worst. Don't take that away at all. They're going to hear it so much and just be like, yeah, 2017 Alex Smith. Man. Absolutely. 20, I'm gonna, we're going to see it on Twitter. 2017 Alex Smith. Son of a bitch. Let's do it. Uh, so you've got protection. Finally allowed Shanahan to execute his game plan in, in the way that I know that he wants to run it. You have the outside zone finally hitting on all cylinders, especially against the team where you needed that to work because you likely were not going to be able to win on the inside. And Adrian Colbert has won a hell of a game at the free safety position. So it seems like we're just completely flush and rich at the safety position. So that's going to be a recap for the Giants game. Doesn't do a whole hell of a lot to, I think, our draft stock. I wanted to win at least one game because I did not want to go 0-16. But at this rate, we're still in line to get one of those top three picks. It's still Cleveland, the Giants... Uh, and the 49ers. As long as we're in position to completely rob somebody who wants a quarterback uh, come, you know, I'm May good. or April or whenever the hell the draft is next year. Yep. Um, that's cool. I'm down. So let's get to the rundown then. The stories of the week that we think are important or other tidbits from the game that are left over. One is that Carlos Hyde, of course, is now the team's leading receiver. He now has the team leading catches, 42. And the 49ers have thrown the most passes to running backs this season. With 104, that's 14 more than the Saints in second place with 90 passes to running backs. We went from like 0 to 100 real quick on that one. <laughs> yeah, we forgot running backs existed in the passing game. And so like, what running backs? Throw it to all the running backs. Yeah. Um, speaking, I think, of forgetting that they exist is I feel like a lot of people don't really talk about Elvis Doomerville all that much. And, and uh, to me, he's been exactly, exactly, exactly what we thought that he would be when the signing happened, which is a pass rush specialist who can come in and actually rush the passer well when he's in there. So, I mean, so far in in this game, he had five total quarterback pressures added a sack, but also a hit and three hurries, uh, which is the eighth time now in 10 games this season that he's had multiple pressures in a game. He's currently eighth among edge defenders. And this is out of, I forget the total number, but like a hundred plus qualifying edge defenders. He is currently eighth in pass rush productivity, which is looking at, you know, how many pressures are they getting per pass rush snap that they have. Uh, and he has rushed the passer on 83% of his total snaps, which is, uh, again, this is somebody that we're like, nah, he's not playing. You know, everybody's like, oh my God, he's the new starting Leo, blah, blah, blah. It's like, he ain't even going to know what base defense looks like. He, like he should be in there in nickel all the time, uh, rushing the passer as much as humanly possible. And I mean, that's what it's been. This was uh, actually kind of the odd game. I think injuries have finally taken their toll to the point that he's got to see a little bit of base defense. And so I think he had 10 run snaps in this game, uh, which is by far his most this season. And I tweeted out one of them and you can see exactly why (laughs) he doesn't have more than, you know, like like, five run snaps in a game. He's like, wait, you want me to do what? Like, I haven't practiced this all year, man. What do you want me to do out there? Um, So, yeah, I I think just he's been, you know, somebody that's that's mostly under the radar because it's a team that, uh, you know, isn't doing very much uh, on the whole, but has been, uh, kind of a consistent performer in, in doing exactly the role that we thought he was going to. We've got Lee J. Doosable. We had to learn how to say his name, and it's paid off. He is an absolute midseason gem. He had five run stops in the game against the New York football giants. He ended with an 85.6 run grade, which was actually a flip from the last two weeks where he had a positive passing grade uh, and still a pretty good run grade. But overall, for signing the dude in the middle of the season, he's produced some quality snaps for the 49ers. I tweeted out a couple plays uh, against Evan Ingram at the beginning of the game because two of his run stops were on the first drive. And he was like, Evan Ingram, I don't, I'm not even bothered. And he completely sheds Evan Ingram and is able to crash down the line on both of them to make the stop on the running back. So he played a, another really, really good game, despite the fact that he's complaining on Twitter about pro football focus grades. Um, but you know what? It's Eventually, really he'll Whatever. Google it. Not touching that one right now. He'll Google it. <laughs> um, uh, I think the next thing is going to be Quan Williams. Uh, start your slot receivers against Williams like that's the the lesson here someone um, tweeted us that they wanted us to do fantasy advice this is our fantasy this advice. is your fantasy advice find the slot receivers playing the 49ers and start them as long as this dude's healthy um I mean Sterling Shepard put up a big game obviously 11 for 142 not all of that was against Williams uh you know we had him charge four for four for 56 yards directly into Williams coverage um still not great I mean Williams right now 
is one of the most targeted cornerbacks in the league. So on a per snap basis, he is the third most targeted corner in the NFL this year out of 116 guys that qualify. Basically, he's seen a pass come his way once every four or five snaps that he's in coverage, uh, which is just kind of an absurd rate. Like teams, he's on the field. They are attacking him. They are throwing the ball his direction, uh, and it's generally paying off. I mean, some of them are tough, right? Sometimes Sterling Shepard's going to make a one-handed grab on you, even though you're in pretty solid position. Like, shit happens. But, I mean, this is is kind of been the case for the entire season now. Uh, just really hasn't been. I think, you know, we both were kind of encouraged by some of his play at previous stops and thought pairing up with uh, his former coach here and all that stuff could work out well, and it just really hasn't. Jeff Halfley, of course, our defensive backs coach, was Quan Williams' defensive backs coach in Cleveland, I believe. Which Going, was, like, back to college. Yeah, yeah. Been around him for a while. Uh, but, and, and honestly, early in the year, if you, if you would have asked me, I would have been like, yeah, he's actually playing okay, especially, you know, he's, he's going to get his nose in there and run support, but it's definitely beginning to be a problem him in coverage because, uh, if a corner can defend against the run, that's great and all, but, uh, they're not linebackers get paid to cover my man. That's exactly right. Next up is Ronald Blair coverage savant. This man is just, he's all over the place. So, uh, Sala, if you've listened to us over the course of the season, you know, my absolute disdain for dropping defensive linemen into coverage. And yet Robert Sala insists on continuing to do so, especially with his fire zone blitzes that he loves. Fire zones are kind of the safe pressure where you can still rush five, but you drop uh, usually a defensive lineman or in some cases a linebacker into a short zone to get some extra additional coverage, especially against a hot read or a hot throw. And Ronald Blair drops into coverage against the Giants and completely blew up a screen. Uh, against the Giants. It it was awesome. It was really good. He is really, really athletic. I actually went back and looked up uh, his Peace Park score, and I was surprised that it was relatively low. And I say relatively. I mean, he was the 22nd person in that draft class, but his his athletics profile put him in the 48th percentile. So just a shade below average. But you look at him on this play, and he did not look a shade below average. I mean, he tracked the ball, went across the formation, blew up the running back, uh, and blew up the screen. His overall grade for the game was 78. His run grade was 67. Pass grade was 75.6. Had two coverage snaps. (laughs) Coverage grade of 77.1, which is better than Kawan Williams. Two snaps. Um, It's been great, man. I mean, Ronald Blair was our our guy, our late round guy last year, right? So like this year, you know, the guys that we kind of latched onto was the George Kittle, Trent Taylor, Matt Breida was kind of the late round guys that we really liked. Uh, right after the draft, you know, and, and obviously I think we've been pretty encouraged by what they've done. But Ronald Blair was that guy last year. He was the late round guy, um, you know, that we thought could have a chance to make the most impact, especially early on. And uh, it's been unfortunate to see him miss time with injuries, but he's been great since he's come back. Uh, and it's been really encouraging to see him him play well. Uh, last thing, though, in, in, in the rundown this week is going to be the DVOA update. Uh, pretty much, I think most of the same from what we had last week, right? 28th overall, 28th offense, 27th defense, and still shining on special teams, eighth in special team DVOA. Yeah. So uh, I think that mostly does it. We only have one other thing cause there's no game next week. It's a bye week. Everybody yeah. gets, everybody no gets a rest. Preview. It's a, it's a Thanksgiving week. Hope everyone has a fantastic holiday, but there is one thing that we will be doing next week instead of the podcast next week. We will be doing a Reddit AMA and ask me anything for those that are uninitiated on the 49ers subreddit. The the folks at the, the the moderators on the Reddit reached out and asked if we wanted to do an, an AMA. We're like, yeah, sure. Why not? It's actually going to replace our podcast next week. So Tuesday, November 21st, circa 7 p.m. Eastern, somewhere around there. That's around for you fancy folk. Uh, it, we're going to be answering any and all questions about the 49ers i guess technically it's an ask me anything so you can ask us you know whether we i guess what is it you whether you would fight one horse-sized duck or a hundred horse size uh, duck-sized horses that's what it is yeah i guess that's 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 the question yeah i think so uh you you can ask us all manner of 49ers or non-49ers related items david and i will be answering those questions we will be glued to our keyboards answering these questions on reddit.com forward slash r forward slash 49ers for those that need to find the link can't use Google and don't know the let me Google that for you link. Uh, so that's going to be a lot I'm of fun. Sure, I'm sure you'll be able to see it. If you follow us on Twitter as well, it'll yeah. be tweeted out. We're going to tweet it out, but we're not going to record a show next week because uh, we've got family stuff and traveling and whatnot, but we will be doing that Reddit AMA. So make sure you join us on Reddit for 
that Ask Me Anything Tuesday the 21st around 7 p.m. And I think that's about it. That's all we got. It feels so so weird. Uh, I know being able, being able to end there and not having a game to preview right now. I know it's gonna. We, we could have filled it with other crap, but we decided not to. Uh, so we're just gonna talk about the stuff that we want to talk about, uh, and then get on out. <laughs> hey, bye week. All right, bye week coming for all of us. Right yeah, now. we've 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 been waiting for it. <laughs> our our bodies need a cold tub. Uh, uh, I need one of those. Uh, the the what's the the cold uh, spray shit for you? It's like the the new fancy replaces the cold tub Cryo- cryogenic there yeah. we go that's the word i'm looking for it sure it finally came to me yeah i'm just gonna wait until you, you don't you don't have, are you just not helping me out here you're just trying to make me look like an ass or you really not know what it is i think it's it's definitely uh the, the former there um i don't even know where we're going with that now <laughs> Whatever. I, I was saying that we need a cold tub from watching oh, yeah. so much shitty football i wanted yeah i wanted one of the fancy ones uh was basically what i was trying to say yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, hyperbaric chamber, cryogenic, uh, cryogenic, whatever. Yeah, sure. Spray some freezing air on me. Is yep. what I'm saying. Make yep. my body feel better. Yeah. So thanks again for tuning in, everyone. Uh, get us on that Reddit AMA Tuesday, November 21st, uh, around 7 p.m. Eastern. And as always, go Niners. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.